0: Hello and welcome to a VJ Oncology podcast. We are a global open access multimedia channel that brings you the latest research updates in oncology. Today, we will be hearing from Peter Barry of the Royal Marsden NHS Foundation Trust, who discusses the management of breast cancer surgery in ER ER-positive, HER2-negative patients in the face of the COVID-19 pandemic. Mr. Barry, a consultant breast surgeon at the Royal Marsden, discusses the development of an evidence based treatment algorithm designed to identify patients who are at greatest need of breast cancer surgery. When the COVID 19 uh, crisis really came to a head, um, uh, there were certain management issues put into place, but we knew, well, we saw very quickly, that we'd have to prioritise uh, quite a few patients, particularly our older screening uh, patient cohort um, uh, but essentially uh, the abundance of patients who are postmenopausal in, in breast cancer terms uh, they constitute the the uh, majority of patients so we, we needed a way to sort of sort through which of these patients should be done soon uh, in terms of being operated on and which could be perhaps um, put on endocrine therapy uh, a tablet basically that could essentially put them in a holding pattern, uh, and would be actually effective against their cancer and potentially even shrink their cancer over several months. Um, I, I knew that Mitch Dowsett had done a lot of work around this area. Um, and so I, I spoke to him and we had a discussion about how, you know, this could, could happen and what tests we could use. And, um, Mitch has claim to fame worldwide really is his use of the key 67 marker, which is a marker of cell proliferation. Um, and um, in a recent study presented a couple of years ago at San Antonio, the POETIC study Marsden led, um, showed very clearly you could uh, predict which patients uh, would be resistant to endocrine therapy um, and have a, a greater chance of recurrence despite endocrine therapy. And Mitch decided to have a look at, that study's data and also try and uh, pull together other studies that had been done with similar information. And what we ended up with and what Mitch really went away and then gathered was really very exciting because he, he showed that just with the simple use of receptors, and these are the estrogen and progesterone receptors for which every patient's initial biopsy uh, gives us a result. This is a standard result. This is nothing special that you know we do in particular centers. Everyone and every center across the NHS will deliver these results on any diagnostic biopsy taken for any cancer patient. And so these hormone receptors, uh, Mitch showed, could in themselves predict um, to a significant degree which patients might be very safe to leave on uh, endocrine therapy, uh, drugs like uh, letrozole or uh, um, uh, aromacin, which are aromatase inhibitor drugs that reduce oestrogen production and therefore starve the cancers of oestrogen, versus those patients who maybe didn't have such strong uh, receptor positivity. Now, what do I mean by that? Well. The receptors, oestrogen and progesterone receptors, are scored, and they're given a score based on the percentage of cells seen in the biopsy under the microscope that stain up for these um, hormone receptors and indicate their hormonal sensitivity, which would then be uh, blocked by these medications, or um, they only they show up so they show up the intensity. As well as the percentage. So, there's, there's a score based on two features the percentage of cells that, that stain for these receptors and how strongly each cell stains. And, and by putting these together, we then get a score. Uh, in the UK, we use what's called the Allred score out of eight. And basically, if the score is eight for each of these, in other words, close to 100% of the cells show receptor positivity, we know that it's pretty safe to leave patients by large on this letrozole or or similar aromatase inhibitor therapy uh, for several months, uh, and that it should be effective. Um, It's in patients where the oestrogen receptor is less than six, for example, a score that's that's lower than, um, uh, say, a seven or eight out of eight, um, that we should be thinking about surgery, uh, and particularly for those who are under six, so five and below, we should be very careful about because those patients potentially have uh, a very low percentage of estrogen positive um, cancer cells within their cancer. And we must remember that cancers are not a homogeneous mixture of the same cells, they're not sort of clones. We know now that uh, cancers are very heterogeneous in terms of their cell populations. And so this is likely to to demonstrate that these cancers are more heterogeneous and that only some of the cells will respond to endocrine therapy um, and some will be resistant from the outset. And so these are the patients we should consider either advising to go ahead with surgery uh, or uh, if certain other criteria are met, maybe chemotherapy is a better way forward for some of those patients. So they're the highest risk group patients. And then somewhere in the middle, if you have a score, oestrogen receptor score of sort of six or seven, not quite the eight, but not so low that we need to go immediately to say surgery or chemotherapy, then we've got that intermediate group where we want to ask further questions. And and this is actually where uh, now um, we're looking into this uh, patient group in more detail because they're the ones Mitch's algorithm would suggest that if we look at the key 67, that's the proliferation marker I mentioned um, earlier, and we look at the key 67 on that diagnostic biopsy, uh, that is the the biopsy taken before the patient started any treatment, we can already narrow down those patients uh, and and sort of, if you like, triage them further and prioritise them into one or the other groups, the high-risk or low-risk groups, just by seeing if that baseline K67 um, is a certain figure. And for example, we talk about 15%, so if less than 15% of the cells are actively seen under the microscope to be proliferating or, if you like, dividing actively, then, then we know we can sort of push those into the group that could have letrozole or endocrine therapy Uh, for a few months and it would be safer to do so. Because we know that if your baseline score and uh, if you like cell turnover is already slower, then you've got a greater chance that you'll respond to the endocrine therapy. Whereas those with a higher proliferation rate at the very start, we then recommend that those patients, and this will be a small group, maybe one in five patients or even less, should then have a repeat biopsy on treatment. Um, And this is exactly what the POETIC study, uh, its basis was the rationale for uh, determining patients uh, being in high, medium or low risk groups. So if you've got, for example, a high proliferation rate to start with, uh, and you go on a few weeks of uh, endocrine therapy, then within even a few weeks, and Mitch showed elegantly in his studies that even from two weeks onwards, uh, you then repeat the biopsy, and if you can show that the proliferation rate, or if you like the key 67, has reduced below um, a certain amount, and, and in this case it's 10%, then we can be very confident that actually it's safe for that patient to remain on endocrine therapy, i.e. the tablets, for perhaps even up to six months. And, and, that, means that, and that, that means that you know these patients, Um, can then have surgery potentially delayed and and furthermore we can give patients the confidence uh, of this valuable information that we're basing uh, this recommendation or this advice uh, on on very uh, solid data uh, that then supports this decision-making or or this advice Um, whereas those patients who let's say didn't respond to two to four weeks of letrozole or, or endocrine therapy in other words they're proliferation or k 67 remained high, and then we know that this group of patients um, uh, may not really be suitable to maintain on that therapy and they should really then uh, be advised to have surgery sooner um, uh, or, or else uh, chemotherapy in some cases. And I think as a clinician, um, to be able to be armed with that sort of uh, knowledge in the background, and then to go to a patient and advise them in with some scientific uh sort of rationale um empowers not only me as the clinician and and other clinicians to do that but then really um i think gives the patient a higher level of confidence to listen to that advice um and and this has, you know been highlighted in a number of patients i mean when this algorithm first started, for example, and we were in the middle of COVID, and, and Mitch did an amazing job getting this out in a very timely fashion, we at the um, Sutton end of the MarsNet kept a spreadsheet um, and had about, I uh, immediately saw that there were eight patients that could benefit from the algorithm and, and could be reprioritized. Um, and, and to extrapolate this to say the rest of the RM hub, there are three hubs in London, Um, The um, Royal Marsden Hub, uh, we could see that the Chelsea uh, Marsden uh, had about uh, uh, 10 to 13 patients who could benefit. And I'm sure that this is transferable, not only uh, across the NHS, but even um, uh, really worldwide. It's applicable widely. And that's one of the strengths, I think, of this information. So, for example, I had a uh, lovely patient in her uh, early 70s. Um, who had a screen-detected cancer, and this was um, oestrogen receptor positive. She was very keen on surgery and was quite distressed and found it distressing that despite the fact she was otherwise healthy, um, that um, there was uncertainty about when we could operate on her. By giving her this information and uh, explaining to her that because her um, oestrogen progesterone receptor status was eight out of eight, if you like, or 100% for both receptors, that based on on this algorithm um it it was clear for me that i I could reassure her that she could at least wait a couple of months uh on treatment with um endocrine therapy uh and and postpone the surgery and that we could review things um and in fact what we ended up doing was was performing a repeat ultrasound in the clinic a couple of months later just to reassure her that the cancer was not enlarging in fact and, and and that it was safe to postpone surgery On the flip side um, I had a patient uh, who was um, in her late 70s um, and she actually had uh, an oestrogen receptor of just six but a negative progesterone receptor and this sort of put her in the higher risk uh, end of the spectrum of um, hormone receptor positive uh, breast cancers and so we actually contacted her um, within the unit and, and advised her to come forward sooner than we had expected certainly and certainly sooner than she had expected to come forward for surgery and she successfully underwent surgery a couple of weeks later and this was in mid-may and successfully so and was discharged without problems and has now had a surgery and is having radiotherapy and i think she was very relieved when she got the call because although um, she had been sort of waiting in the background and prepared to have a review in clinic uh, uh, I think in early July, um, she was delighted when we told her this news uh, and, um, and to, to understand why we had advised her to come forward sooner, despite potential risks with COVID-19. So, you know, I think one can see that, you know, at, at both ends of the spectrum, this advice is very helpful. I think another aspect that, you know, Mitch and his colleagues um, who led on this um, uh, article uh were able to refine was to one of the challenges was to minimize the number of patients we'd want to call back for an on-treatment biopsy. In other words, one of the we repeat biopsy at two to four weeks after commencing endocrine therapy to see if their cancer's um, growth rate had slowed down. In other words, was the endocrine therapy effective and so could they stay on this. And and as I mentioned earlier, by if you like inserting this possibility of a baseline key sixty seven when the receptors were a bit equivocal, we could further triage patients without a second biopsy. And that was very important because it saves uh, in the order of uh, maybe uh, 10 to 15% of those patients a second biopsy, hence a second visit to hospital and a second procedure. And so they even reduced that percentage of patients needing a biopsy to less than one in five. Uh, And I think that was also a very elegant Solution to the to the problem, uh, which which was you know or the challenge, if you like, that COVID had uh, placed on us. We um, estimated that through the hub, um, we'd have about seventy patients that may benefit from this, and um, uh, and there were there were a handful from the other trusts within the hub, and I think. Most of the Trusts, pleasingly, didn't have such a a backlog or such a large volume of patients that they were able to probably operate on most of them, but I think it really does help those Trusts that have um, a large number of patients and particularly high-risk patients. So just to put these patients into perspective, and, and I might mention too that at the time there were guidelines from around the world, including the Association of Breast Surgery, in the UK and other peak bodies, uh, such as the Society for Surgical Oncology in the USA, um, that were coming out to help surgeons prioritize their surgical patients. And and we know that there are young women with receptor triple negative patients, uh, for example, their hormone receptor positive, sorry, hormone receptor negative patients. And those with patients who are HER2 positive, which is another subgroup of about one in five patients, that they were going to be prioritized towards surgery or chemotherapy ahead of this cohort of patients who are postmenopausal, as I mentioned. But within this group, as as one needs to appreciate, this is a large group of patients. This constitutes about 70% of all breast cancer patients. So from a numbers point of view, it's a large number of patients. And whilst we may think of them as generally less urgent than some of the other um, uh, subtypes of breast cancer, Within this group, we can, we can see, and, and Mitch's algorithm highlights this, that within this uh, subgroup of hormone receptor positive postmenopausal breast cancer patients, there's still a group of patients who are at higher risk and those who are at lower risk. In other words, some of them can wait longer, but some of them shouldn't and, and uh, really should have treatment earlier. And that really was to, to work out which of those patients um, we could advise specifically to, to come forward earlier for surgery or, or uh, for example, chemotherapy. So it was, I think, very helpful. In terms of the other trusts, um, most of those patients, I think, um, were able to have decisions made just based on their receptor status. But interestingly, in the last couple of weeks, we've just had requests from some trusts through Mitch's uh, lab, who's providing t 67 analysis, to do some more baseline t 67s on patients. So clearly there is still um, if you like, a need. Uh, and I think what we're going through now is the recovery phase from our initial COVID surge. And with new patients being diagnosed all the time, uh, there is gonna be a need, an ongoing need, if you like, to uh, reprioritize these patients um, with, you know, whether, to whether, whether they need surgery in the nearer future or whether we can postpone them. Uh, So this problem is not going to go away, um, with a lull in COVID cases or new diagnoses. And also I haven't mentioned at all yet that whilst, uh, breast screening has been suspended and was suspended during the COVID, uh, peak, um, we haven't really seen a restarting of that screening process. And when that starts, we'll then get another surge of postmenopausal patients who fit into this group and that will create further pressures if you like on, um, on, on uh, units trying to deliver treatment uh, and furthermore you know I think one shouldn't underestimate the psychological stresses this places on patients. If you have found this podcast useful please leave a review and subscribe on your podcast app including Apple and Spotify so we can continue to deliver expert-led content to you. Follow us on Twitter at VJ Oncology and join in on the conversation. And finally, don't forget to visit vjoncology.com for all the latest updates in the field.